Lawrence Hopper, University of Toronto Varsity Blues, offensive lineman number 54, and you're listening to At The 55. Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. This is now episode six of the Life After Football series. Joining us today, we have a man who has been repping Toronto football and the city of Etobicoke for his whole darn life, going from the Richview Collegiate, going from Richview CI to the Etobicoke Eagles, to the UFT Blues, to the UFT, to the, pardon me, the Toronto Junior Argos, all the way to working with the CFL. Lawrence Hopper joining us today. How are you doing, Lawrence? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Uh, how are you doing with, uh, well, how are you doing with quarantine, with COVID going on? You, your family, everyone been staying safe and healthy? Yeah, yeah. We've just been kind of, you know, laying low, obviously, all summer. Definitely getting uh, a little more golfing than usual, but uh, definitely missing uh, missing the summer football coaching. That's for sure. And we'll definitely get into that uh, soon, no doubt. Uh, but let's start with your career as, as, the, as a player. Uh, and, and you're someone whose name I had heard all growing up playing Metro, playing football in Toronto as a, a fellow offensive lineman. Uh, yeah. Your name was always thrown around with the likes of, uh, you know, uh, former teammates of mine in Dakota, guys like Eddie Meredith, Stu Anoya, and then you'd always hear Lawrence Hoffer come up. Um, <laughs> so, you know, prominent Toronto offensive lineman prospect, play with the UFT Blue, stay at home, spend a couple years there. So talk a little bit about your journey playing high school, summer football here in the city, and then getting to stay at UFT and playing there for a few years. So... It all started kind of just came into high school, grade nine. Uh, didn't have a sport to play in the fall. I was like, all right, let's give football a go. Um, did uh, At the time, I honestly, I didn't really know much about football. I didn't play it. I was playing baseball at the time. Uh, got involved. I, uh, I pretty much haven't grown much since grade nine, height-wise. So I was very tall at that age and then got put right in an offensive line. Uh, grade 10 was where I started to figure out that I was actually kind of decent at it. So I started playing on I started playing both offense and defense. Uh, and then once I figured out I was good at it, that's when I started playing summer ball with Etobicoke. Uh, I just kind of built through there. Had a pretty successful time in Etobicoke. Uh, grade 12 with Richview, we ended up winning the championship. So that was always that was a good memory. Uh, Nothing super special, but then work and then kind of started getting recruited. U of T was, they started talking to me back in grade 10, mostly because those coaches were also coaching with Etobicoke. Um, then the summer going into my first year at U of T, I actually ended up tearing my ACL. So I missed my first year. I was still around the team. I was in camp helping out any way I can, but like going through rehab and stuff there. Uh, went back after my first year for my last year with Etobicoke to kind of use that as a rehab season, but also just because, you know, you only have so many games, right? So played there, uh, played through my second year, training camp third year. Uh, so t- this was, this is an interesting story. I actually tore my, I tore my ACL again uh, on the first day of camp, but I didn't know about it until after week six so um week five against Guelph came in and uh just obviously you're playing interior line bodies are flying everywhere guy fell down into my bad knee which when I heard it camp it swelled up for the week like it felt a kind of shifting around for camp and then after a couple weeks that went away um 
but so I had to come off because I messed my hand up pretty bad trying to stop the guy from come falling into my knee. But then obviously because anytime my knee was involved with anything, the doctors would want to take a look at it and they kind of noticed something was off. So they booked me an MRI for uh, right after the Carlton game. And so in the Carlton game, I actually had a full on pivot shift. So that basically what that feels like, it feels like my femur slid off my tibia. Um, yeah. So that, that hurts pretty bad. It swells up the next day, but it's not like you, you stand up, you're like, shake it off. Like that didn't end up having to come out of the game. Uh, finish that game, get the MRI done that because that pivot shift though, it's well, I like if We didn't have the bye week after that game. I would have had to sit. But uh, I just took that bye week off practice, and then I was like, well, I played – based off of the, how the knee looked, the uh, report said that it had been torn for over a month already. So I was like, okay, uh, might as well finish the season. So played the last few games. Uh, got the surgery right after the end of the season. Came all the way through to fourth year. Um, Went off to was off that was that year I was actually I felt like I was really coming into my own. I, that first week of camp was really good, and then against McGill, like just luck of the draw. There, I got a basically I, I go in to hit a guy, we make contact. The second guy is in there, and then I just kind of get twisted up, and uh, the knee. This this is in the exhibition game against uh, McGill, and then I end up tearing it the third time. So. Obviously, that was a little devastating. That made that that season was a little weird, then because I was kind of in a, at that point I had already started coaching um, a guy who had coached me back in high school with the Tobacco, uh, Russ Hoff. had brought me on. I was coaching with the Metro Toronto Wildcats at the time. I coached there under him a couple of years, um, so I had already kind of started. I think I had two years coaching, which so I, I, a year before that. That season, I think I would have already had a year as a defensive coordinator. And then, um, yeah, so I was just kind of like, I was helping out. It was a little it was a little weird because, like, oh, I'm still, like, I'm half coaching, but I'm still a player, and my friends are on the team. So there's, that's just a – that's almost a can't-win dynamic. But uh, it, was, it was a good learning experience. And then going into the, uh, the fall before what was my, my fifth year – uh, I had if I was going to play again, I had to do. It was going to be weird. All these weird boxes I had to check. Um, I had to get a bone graft because the surgery was then going to be two parts. If I was going to play, so it's a bone graft that to fill in the tunnels for my first two surgeries with so bones. Um, and then they were going to have to take a piece out of my other knee to then get my ACL because I had torn the two pieces you could take out of that knee. And then, but the bone didn't heal in time. And then uh, I was going to just play without it. But then I had a meniscus injury. So they had to scope out like 75% of that. And I'm like, all right. Yeah, I was like, all right. That's when I kind of, probably a little too late. But I was like, all right, that's the time. Called it a career and um, kind of came on that fifth year as a coach. And then two seasons after that, coached, helped with the offensive line a couple of years. Actually did defensive line in one year with uh, – under Coach Capiello, there is still there now, and then um, was a video coordinator one year, which actually led into what my job is now. So, a couple follow-up <laughs> questions on 
within that story. One, and this is more for me personally, having played at Guelph, do you remember who the defensive lineman was that fell into your knee? Uh, no, not specifically. I have a feeling it was Finley because he, uh, he he was a bit of a wrecking ball. He was all over. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, Finner was a monster. As an undersized yeah. lineman, he was an absolute terror to go up against because he took my natural leverage away because he was also small, but just a freak of nature in every other respect. So, yeah, that he was so there. So explosive yeah. off the ball, and then Maroof was in there as well. That oh, was a geez. battle. That was a tough game. That guy, that guy was like running into a brick wall. Yeah, Maroof's a Maroof's a whole different story. He's a he's a different breed of, breed of animal altogether. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but you know, you talked a little bit about how you started coaching while still playing, or you know, trying to continue with your playing career. Did you find that while doing that, it gave you a different perspective when you would go back into the film room than as a player or step onto the field as a player? Uh, definitely the film room. I, I got into watching film very early on because my first year of varsity, I was up against a lot of guys who were two, three years older than me because I was pretty much the youngest you could be. Uh, so guys like Torrey Latanzio. So like, I'm a 16-year-old kid. He's 19. I'm lining up against him. I'm like, well, this will be a long day. I better figure out what he does. But uh, when I start, actually first started coaching, they brought me on as an offensive line coach. And they didn't have a D-line coach, but they found another guy who could coach O-line. So I was like, hey, I'll go to D-line. So I actually haven't – didn't coach offensive line in summer ball. I haven't since the part-time stuff I did with Etobicoke after I aged out there. So um, just kind of have an opportunity to teach all this stuff and learn defensive schemes mentally – uh, just in the chess match during the play and as well as reading defenses before the play, it definitely uh, was a massive help. Like, it kind of put everything together. It wasn't just what we're doing against whatever they're doing. It was it turned into a real chess match in my own head. Did you take any additional, like, courses or seek any additional avenues of, of learning to be able to learn defense more thoroughly? Or was it completely just a matter of deconstructing the other side of the ball, as you kind of explained, based on well, if I know what I'm trying to accomplish, here's what they must be trying to do to prevent that, et cetera, et cetera, in that chess match you, chess match you mentioned. Yeah, I kind of got lucky with that because I was always around some very – like I lived with three defensive guys, and then when I was coaching on the defensive side of the ball, our uh, defensive coordinator my first year there, he was very experienced. He played, I think it was St. FX. And then after my first year as defensive coordinator, I had no clue about coverages. Uh, but I made a, I made a point of getting bringing on support staff guys like uh, my ring ability like Sam Saverin and they were a huge help in teaching me uh, just kind of like the finer points of that stuff. So then that was that made that transition a little bit easier for uh, for me. But it was uh, it was an interesting little uh, little bout, little road. Well, you mentioning names like Etor and Sabrin. This is a great memory lane trip oh, for yeah. me right now, having played <laughs> offensive line in that same era. Uh, but you mentioned then getting to do some work doing uh, video coordination and that sort of leading into the role you then took on at the with the CFL. So what, what was that journey like for you? Uh, so that was interesting. The, the football technology stuff I was always interested in because it was kind of like uh, whoever can use this the best, there's actually a distinct advantage. Um, I remember it was just uh, the OC for UFT at the time, Mark Surya, just called me up one day. He said, we need our video coordinator. Uh, this was about a month before training camp. He's like, he bailed on the season. We need a guy. Um, do you think you could do it? And I was like, all right, a little extra cash. Why not? 
Uh, I was still in, I was still in school at the time, so it wasn't going to be like that much. It wasn't really that much more of a commitment. So did that. Picked up all the DV sports stuff, learned a little technology, and then um, pretty much after that season, I would have been around the, the following spring. Uh, Mark again kind of said, "Hey, CFL is looking for like uh, a video video guy, basically." So I was like. Because the guy before me, he had just moved on to another job. They needed someone local because the office, the office is downtown. Uh, someone who's familiar with the software. And um, that's basically, I applied to that, uh, got that job, and then did that for two years, which eventually led into what my position is now after showing that I was a competent employee. <laughs> and and that, sorry, that full position also includes global scouting as well? Yes. So now I think it's because of my background with all the coaching and just general like football knowledge. Um, we do, especially, I don't know how much you know about the CFL 2.0 initiative. It's a lot of trying to get, uh, we're trying to get football players from around the world opportunities because the talent's there. It's just not necessarily exposure and uh, the development. They're, they're absolutely insane athletes. And we're just kind of going around through all our partner countries where football's developed to a certain point and uh we help them in growing the game and uh get exposure there which will then help us kind of broaden our market as a league yeah i'm a couple of years back with my old man we went to uh the toronto argos town hall where uh ambrosi spoke and he talked a lot about that and, and the kind of uh, push to make it a, a more of a, a global sport in a sense um but it, this the conversation kind of leading in this direction makes me think of an interview Dakota and I did recently with Jonathan Edward from the Carlton Ravens and of course being uh, a native Floridian and talking about the impact of uh, I forget the exact rule or the change that was made but now in terms of for American players or international players who play three years college ball here in Canada they can now qualify as nationals uh, did yeah. was that part were you part of that at all or was that was that sort of in your ballpark uh i mean by no means am i part of any of those decisions but uh <laughs> that we do deal with that department that department so that the americans obviously fall under that so it's a bit of a draw for them to come up and increase comp competition up here so they have to play three years at least three years and graduate in order to qualify as a national for the draft so that's kind of as if they just come up for a full four-year university career then they're good to go they can qualify for the canadian draft whether or not they have citizenship so, yeah, that's it. I feel like obviously we're not going to see any guys come through that for the next three, four years, but I think it could be an interesting uh, little development. What, what's your response? Because we talked about this a bit with, with Edouard. What would, what's your response to the pushback you get from mostly, I imagine it would only be Canadians who then perceive this as a, a slight or a, a taking away of opportunities for Canadian-born athletes. And I think Dakota hit the nail on the head when we were talking with Edward, with Edward, where it's like, well, you know what? If there's an opportunity for international players to come in and take these roles, get better. You know, it, you know, this is a new opportunity for you to push yourself and improve. But from the CFL's vantage point, because I imagine you or, or the people involved with that project probably did receive a lot of complaints to that, um, to, of that ilk sort of so what's the cfl's or your personal stance on people who have that viewpoint of it um 
I'm not sure what the, the CFLs is. I feel like I'm not going to try and speak on what sure. the, the league's opinion is on anything. But for me personally, I completely agree with Dakota. Um, I mean, we've all been a part of rosters and coming from a team that wasn't exactly the most deep. I've seen what's on the bottom end of those rosters. And personally, I don't, I don't believe a lot of those guys were particularly uh, deserving of roster spots because they don't – you get these guys who just don't work that hard. And they're not uh, really that committed to the team. So if these guys are coming in and they're there for a reason and they're there to elevate the play and elevate the level of competition, then you're going to get, I think it's only going to help the development of the game and the development of the Canadian players ultimately, because now they have to do more than the bare minimum. No, and I definitely agree with that. And just, sorry, just jumping back onto sorry the the main topic here i think you're probably the first one we've had that had their at least their playing career end abruptly um everyone else you know they go pro or you know they finish i think jimmy finished with a vanier which is probably the best way to finish um yeah and and obviously you have that coaching experience as well i mean even if it is for a team like the junior argos and not the eagles like i coach i mean stay true to who you are come back to the eagles um <laughs> but <laughs> But uh, I, 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 the guys over there have given me that one every year. Trust me. Yeah, I was just talking to Russ earlier. I was, you know, he asked me any questions for you. Um, how do you? I mean, it, it's sort of, sort of a two part question. How did you? You know, obviously you stayed within the team, but how did getting injured and ending your career like affect? I, I want to focus really on, on the mental. How did it really affect your 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 mental and? Is there anything that you kind of tell your kids that you're coaching now or coaching in the past? I mean, it's hard. I think we've all had coaching experience talking to 15, 16 year olds saying, you're not going to play football one day. It's going to be really tough. And they tell you to shut up and move along. Cause that's just, yeah. I did that to my it's coaches too, but yeah, to just how did ending your football career abruptly, you know, really affect your mental state. And then is there anything you tell your kids now or in the past? Uh, it was tough, man. Cause you kind of, especially when you're battling through injuries, it's like, what more can I do to stop this from happening? Like, I just want to play. So when you come to that point, like at the minute I had that last injury, I was like, okay, like, that's it. I got, I can't keep doing this to myself. But um, I don't, I don't think anyone can, anything can really prepare you for that. Uh, like just having to step away before you're ready. But I always knew that there needed to be kind of like a backup plan. Uh, I was always mentally, I was always scared. Um, using football. I wasn't going to go pro. Uh, I knew that I was using football for whatever came next. And coaching was kind of uh, an easy transition, made that transition a lot easier out of there. So I could still stay around the team until I was really ready to cut it off. Uh, In terms of what I tell my players, it's kind of similar where you're always like, listen, you can only do this for so long. Like it's not like hockey or softball or something like that where you can play in your 40s it's like once you hit that wall like you're done uh you're and after a certain point you're just you're just inflicting unnecessary damage on yourself so for a lot of the kids i always try to preach use football for uh for like as a means to an end use football to pay for your tuition so you can get that education to that next step use football um, for the guys that who I think can go pro, it's kind of like even then football ends, right? Like you can't live off of that stuff, and especially when you're up in Canada, you're not you're probably not going to live like make a living 
through the rest of your life off the CFL salary. So unless you're going to NFL, you need to have that next career ready. So it's always trying to preach bigger picture a lot, as I'm sure you know, Dakota, especially in the, in the city, a lot of these kids are more focused on the now. They just want to figure out football at this very moment. No, I, so. yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, I try to talk to talk to my athletes as much as possible, even if it is tough to really get through to them. Um, and I think, <laughs> I think the mindset now for, I mean, the younger generation is kind of, you know, use football, don't let football use you. We've heard that a bunch or, you know, what's your 40 year plan, not your four year plan. Um, cause it does, like you were saying hockey, I can, I can lace up my skates when I'm 65. I mean, I'll probably be really bad, but I can go on the ice, but I'll never, I'll never, I'll never put on pads again. And I know that. Um, but just sort of jumping to the, the school aspect of it, do you think that there's something that, and this isn't a negative on any schools, but do you think there's something that the schools can do more or the athletic department can do more, even the football team can do more to kind of help transition these kids that are going and doing these, you know, 80 hour a week of football, you know, whether that's lift or film or practice, or even just hanging with the team to absolutely nothing. And they're kind of sitting alone. They don't have a workout schedule. They don't have a meal plan anymore. I mean, some schools have talked or some players have talked about, you know, having alumni come in that have played and kind of tell these kids what it's like to transition out. But do you have any opinion on what a school can do or what a program can do to help transition these kids? Cause it does, it does, it ends randomly and you can never predict it, but is there anything a school can do to help that transition? Oh, 100% schools can do more. I think there's a lot of other, a lot of programs that just kind of put a team out there. They get the kids in and then they're just happy to be there. Um, there isn't any like long-term plan. Like you see kids get forced out of programs. I've had players that just kind of get pushed to the waist. I follow them into their university career. They just get pushed to the wayside for whatever reason. And then they're kind of, they're kind of a lost cause. Um, some programs do a good job of this. I've come across some of my friends like encountered, um, injuries and then they ended up getting some support um someone you might know from western damien you got a bit, a bit of help to help to get him out into montreal um yes there's some programs where it's kind of like once you're done that's it they're happy to see you come back every now and then but there's no real connection building and, and the alumni thing you would hope is a good idea but for some programs alumni aren't always that active and that can kind of create a bit of a, a almost a divide any way you can get creating connections and networking is is something that I feel like a lot of younger, uh, especially kids that are in undergrad just don't really think of. And that's just incredibly important. You see some guys, like I know some guys from U of T that have, um, in the built the network once they are alumni, not while they're playing. So there's a couple of years where it's kind of like a lost area and then they eventually end up, creating those connections to get into whatever their professions are now. But it would be nice to see a bit more of a, uh, an active program when it comes to connecting guys. But at the same time, there are the, the players that because they don't realize how important that is, they're not actually trying to like think about life after football. And that's always the battle is the, the level of realism that certain guys will play with. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, it's also tough to, because when you're playing football, you kind of have to turn off that, that part of your brain that says, you know, this is going to end. And when you think that it's going to end, you probably, you know, I, I encourage all players to take their injuries seriously, but I mean, you guys played O-line, so you probably have a, a bunch of concussions. I know I did. And being smart about it, I probably should have stopped playing a while ago, but I mean, 
I didn't. I'm sure you guys didn't either. And having that realization that this is going to end, a lot of players probably don't want that. It's going to cause them to, you know, be a little more scared to go take a hit. And you bring up Damien. I think that's a great example. I mean, I played uh, Beef Eaters with him as well. And then, yeah, he transitioned to Montreal, which I think was a great transition. It's, I think it's just a lot about networking, but there's no real solution right now. I'm just trying to brainstorm something for the kids. Absolutely. It's, it's like you said, it's a battle. Uh, the concussion stuff, I, I got lucky. I managed to get out without any diagnosed concussions. I mean, I definitely had a couple of bell ringers <laughs> during my time, but uh, uh, no, no lasting effects as far as I've noticed. That's what I always say. I was never diagnosed with a concussion, but anyone who knows, and anyone knows the <laughs> offensive line and, you know, as Dakota said, it's probably a couple of those bell ringers were a little more than just your average bell ringer. Um, yeah. Talking about the connection with, with, with alumni at, at Guelph for at least a year or two, they did institute a program to try and connect people with uh, alumni, specifically ones who were in either your field of study or went into areas that perhaps you're interested in. And I think if I could go back and talk to my, you know, first, second year self uh, some 10 years ago now, I think I would have really told that, that version of me, take advantage of this opportunity. Cause I think myself and a lot of my teammates, you know, I think we recognize the benefit of it, but for any number of reason, you know, number one, probably just being, you know, stupid young 20 something <laughs> year old guy that you just don't really think about the future that much. So that would be one big thing that I would go back and tell my younger self while at Guelph. What if you could go in this hypothetical time machine and go talk to young Lawrence Hopper in his first or second year at Guelph, uh, pardon me, at U of T, uh, <laughs> what would you have told, what would you have told him, you know, whether it was regarding on the playing field in the classroom dealing with injuries anything you might think that would have put you in a I mean clearly despite the football career ending not how you would have wanted to things worked out okay you're still connected with football but just what would you have told that version of yourself to just maybe make things easier or put them on a path that would have led to whatever oh man so much there's so much I could I would have I wish I could have been I think I'd say be more proactive like even in high school, I wasn't that good of a student until I realized I could play football university. I wasn't like, I didn't struggle in school. I just was disinterested. So I was like a mid sixties student up until grade 12. And I was like, okay, let's go, let's go play football. And then I got the grades to get into U of T. And it, once I got to U of T, it was just more of the same. I was just kind of like doing the minimum to get by. Uh, I definitely wish I could have been more proactive in networking and understood because I had studied kinesiology there. Um, and to be honest, in terms of what I could have done with that, I didn't really know much at the time. I was just, I was ultimately, I was just there focusing on football and getting through school. So I would tell myself, you got to take that, like the academics are the portion that you need to, while I was using football for the academics, I wasn't putting full effort into that aspect. So I would say take that more seriously so that you can kind of open more doors later on and just kind of prepare yourself. Now we're still we're still back in time on this one. Um, you're talking to yourself. Be honest here. Would you have listened? I feel like I would have listened. I would have gravitated. I would have like realized that it's that it's real, and then I would have not done anything. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm just, I, I ask that follow up every single time because I think I mean, if I told if I went back in time and told myself everything, I probably would have done a very similar path that I did anyway. 
yeah, I'd be like, oh man, yeah, that's 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 truth right there. All right, I'm gonna go sit on the couch for. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, you know, you you need to eat more. I'd be like, yeah, for sure, totally, I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> well, I think technically the only true, correct answer to that question is. Oh shit! Time travels for real. Let's go see how the pyramids were built. Like I think that's the only true true answer to it. But uh, no, I, I agree, and I, I've spent the least amount of time of, out of the three of us right now uh, having coached uh, at any level. But you know, even the few opportunities I've had, I, I know that it's just true. A lot of those messages fall on uh, you know they fall flat on the kids, and I know that they they fell flat on on me too when I heard them uh, back when I was playing. So it's it's a it's a tough problem to try Absolutely. and yeah. rectify, and maybe one of those things that experience really is the best the best teacher in some of those fields um one last question i want to just ask you about uh, less so about i guess the life after or the the coaching component but uh just in terms of your experience with uft because we recently were speaking with your fellow teammate and fellow kinesiology um colleague i suppose in in jeff lamb and kind of asking about how the pressures of the academic pressures of uft uh, are seemingly so much greater than at a lot of other programs and how that perhaps plays into the success or at times lack thereof on the football field. What was your feeling in terms of how strenuous the academic portion of the UFT student-athlete can be? Uh, I have more of a controversial opinion about that. I feel like after your first year, it's all talk. Uh, I don't think UFT is really that tough like i got i got by with the bare minimum um like obviously it probably takes a bit more of attention maybe i I don't know i haven't gone to other schools and but i felt when everyone talks like uft is all all this super difficult uh school but and to be fair this program's not exactly one of uft's toughest programs like it's hardly like rotman commerce or something like that so the demand probably isn't as high but um, I never really struggled with that balance personally. Like I, I failed, I think my first three midterms. And then after that, I was fine. It was, that was kind of like, a, Oh, this is how they test you in university. And then once I knew how, what I was preparing for, then it kind of got a lot easier after that to just, again, do the bare minimum and get my sixties and seventies. Perfect. No, I, you know what? I, I and that's honestly my perspective coming uh, when I ask that question is kind of based on just the sort of rumor mill and what I've always heard about it. So maybe that is. I mean, I think the academic standard there is definitely a little higher at times, but you know, I guess that doesn't always uh, that I was all, doesn't always bear out as as you mentioned there. Um, yeah, they do some weird things. They, they like they'll bell curve grades down if everyone does too well. Like it's. Uh... But don't they gotta you also, keep that average low. It's got to be tough. But don't you also have to have, isn't it, what is it, the double major or the major double minor or something like that? Or uh, That sounds like more of an arts thing. I'm not 100% sure. With that, I, that was just weird. Special, uh, we're like a specialty program. So just kinesiology, you can do a minor if you want. But I didn't have any of that. Beautiful. And actually, you know what, last thing I just want to ask about, because I know Dakota and I have talked to a lot of guys when we did our off-season walkthrough tour, if we met up with guys who were from the Toronto area about their decision to choose a school outside of Toronto, you obviously growing up in the city, playing your football, your summer football, high school football, going to university here in the city, coming back to coach. It, it does seem like a lot of the top talent from the city has left in a lot of scenarios over the years. Um, yeah. Do you think there's anything 
that at any level of football here in the city, we could be doing better um, to be able to keep some of that talent. And, you know, I, I'd love it if all the best talent from every city went to Guelph. You know, I'm, I'm just trying to come at this from a perspective of just what the sort of, what, what it is, if this is really happening, why is it that people are choosing to leave Toronto as opposed to, you know, playing at a school like Toronto or, or York even? Yeah. Uh, this was a point of frustration for me a lot, especially since I started coaching. Uh, as a player, I was always like, well, when I was recruited in, there were a lot of Toronto guys coming into York and U of T. I think that was more of an emphasis being put on by the coaches who were there at the time. I know John Angle, because he was really involved with Etobicoke. I think we might have had as many as 15 Eagles at U of T my first year. Um, with uh, and then York was bringing in a lot of guys as well because Falls that York would send Falls would be out there with assistant coaches when he was the OC at York. They were all over the city. I had York and U of T at probably my last six high school games. Um, and then there are others now. I rarely see either of those schools. And then even if I have players that want to go to those schools, it's it's difficult just to get them to talk to. Them. So it's a bit of a, uh, like, if they want to those Toronto players to stay here, they can. I think maybe they've been discouraged by battling for those players and then losing them. I don't know the reason. Um, but as a coach, I see more of Laurier and Guelph and Queens at our games and even our practices than, uh, than either of the Toronto schools. So I think um, – as much as they get frustrated with that, if you're not going to own your uh, your area, then you're not going to get those players. Like they're not going to just be like, "Oh, I want to go to UT because I'm close." Like for me, it was because UT was always there. Uh, I knew the coaches; I had a lot of friends there. And on top of that, I didn't have to get my parents to pay for that first year residence kind of cost. So that was played into it. But uh, you're not always going to get. I know that I was more of an outlier than anything because. All my, all my friends at school went outside the city. So, and I understand the draw there. There just wasn't, that decision wasn't for me. But, um, yeah, I feel like if you want to own the city, you can. <laughs> but there's just, I just feel like there's not a lot of effort being put in from that point of view. Well, I mean, I know that question's a bit of a Pandora's box for me to open, so I'm seeing Dakota <laughs> nod, maybe not wanting to jump into that right at this moment, but maybe we'll yeah. convene if another. Toronto, you know. Yeah, you coach Toronto, you know that frustration. Well, maybe we'll, we'll keep in touch, then maybe we'll do some type of a Toronto, you know, summit of how to do, win the area, as you put it, or win the city uh, at another time oh, and, and focus more on that. We, um, I've had tons of conversations with my friends about that who also were at UFT or are from Toronto and see the same thing. Like, yeah. You can get like a two hour long podcast just on that. <laughs> All right. Well, then I think, uh, <laughs> think if I'm reading Dakota's body language correctly, we are going to save that for another time. <laughs> um, <laughs> for now, though, uh, Lawrence, uh, thank you again so much for joining us, uh, sharing your story and uh, everything you went through and how that all took you to where you are now. Uh, really appreciate it, man. All right, I appreciate you guys having me on. That was fun. Yeah, man. All the best. We'll keep in touch, eh? Absolutely. Sounds good.